Hey everybody, hope you're having a fantastic day. This is a short story that I wrote for Santa Cruz Waves magazine. I write a bi-monthly article for them, so if you enjoy this, be sure to let me know and I'm happy to share more of my writing with my podcast audience. Thank you to Greg for donating on Patreon this week. Greg, you world champion you. I have the coolest people who donate to my show on Patreon. It just warms my heart to see some of the names on there. Um, And seriously, all of you who donate, um, even just a few bucks a month, it really does help keep this show going because I drive around California to get the guests who you request. It does take a lot of time to produce this show. um, So getting paid a little bit of money to do this podcast's helps me prioritize it. Also, I'm an Amazon affiliate, so if you buy shit on Amazon, go over to my website, kyle.surf, and click the Amazon link, bookmark that link, and then use it whenever you buy Amazon stuff, and I get a small percentage of your purchase at no cost to you. Additionally, um, giving the show a rating on iTunes, sharing it with a boy or a girl who you like, using it as a conversation starter, um, it really helps get the word out. All right, um, on to this story. I I heard a quote a while ago. um, Someone said, we're not afraid of what the president will think of us. We're afraid of what our friends down at the pub will think of us. And that's definitely true for this story. This was a highly uncomfortable and personal story for me to write. Um, and I hope that it comes across in the way that I, um, I hope it does. So on to the story. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. When the Ride Ends, is pro surfing a dead-end career? Most of my friends are, or once were, professional surfers. I was born and raised in Santa Cruz, and given that I'm part of this tight-knit community, it's highly uncomfortable and difficult for me to write about the harsh realities that I see some of these surfers facing today. That said, I will continue on as honestly as possible, because pro surfing isn't always the glamorous career it seems. The definition of pro-surfer will vary depending on whom you ask. Some people will tell you that Nat Young is the only pro-surfer in Santa Cruz because he is the only one who competes on the World Surf League, the WSL. To gain clarity on the definition, I ride my bike to Pete Mel's surf shop, Freeline. Mel won the Mavericks competition in 2013 and is one of the most celebrated surfers to ever come out of Santa Cruz. A pro surfer is someone who gets paid to create value for a brand by surfing and getting media attention, he tells me. Right now, I am one of the few surfers in Santa Cruz who still enjoys a small salary from my main sponsor, Patagonia. If my friends were to be brutally honest, they would tell me that dozens of unsponsored guys in town surf circles around me. They would tell me that I get paid to create video content that aligns with my sponsor's brand. 
Thankfully, my friends are too polite to tell me any of this, so I'll go on introducing myself as a pro surfer, although it's unclear sometimes why I really get paid. Young's job is clearer. Win the heat. The athleticism and grit that it takes to compete on the WSL are freakish attributes that very few surfers from our town have ever possessed. Unlike a free surfer who tends to have a more wanderlust schedule, chasing swells wherever they go, Young's year is mapped out in advance as he moves from competition to competition. This allows Young to gain income from competition prize money as well as sponsorship endorsements. Free surfers rely strictly on sponsors. I'd say that about 90% of pros to ever hail from Santa Cruz, including Mel, were primarily paid as free surfers. Not unlike a professional model, a free surfer gets paid to promote the products their sponsors are trying to sell. They do this by garnering media attention while sporting their logos. The simple truth is that whether you're a young, Mel, or a Grom who gets paid $300 a month, a pro surfer is a commodity. The moment the athlete is no longer seen as someone who moves product, they will no longer be paid to surf. The reasons a pro might get dropped from their sponsor can range from image to age to number of Instagram followers. How much money were you making at the peak of your career? I ask Mel, shifting in my seat and quickly following up with, you don't need to answer that if you don't want to. It's okay, he responds. I was making about $150,000 per year, and someone like Flea was probably making a lot more than that at the time. It's been about 10 years since the industry began shifting funds away from the local pro to invest more in the top guys. Santa Cruz used to have dozens of athletes who made good money to surf. Some of them included Jason Ratboy Collins, Daryl Flea Verosco, Sean Barney Barron, Adam Rapogel, Ken Skindog Collins, Josh Molkoy, Anthony Rufo, Bud Freitas, and Mel. Today, I can count everyone who gets a paycheck on one hand. To be a pro today, you need to be a professional marketer, Mel says. When I was coming up, it was a lot more simple. I made sure to show up at the right spots and work with the right photographers and filmers. That's still true for guys today, but they have to be a lot more creative. This creativity can take shape in the form of a YouTube series, a clever Instagram campaign, or having an irreplaceable personal brand. A good example of this marketable originality is Mark Healy, a big wave surfer, professional spear fisherman, and Hollywood stuntman. Then again, you could make this argument for any model, athlete, writer, or content producer today. They all need to be more creative than the generation prior. So what makes the industry of professional surfing even more isolating for its participants? The first harsh reality that pro surfers face once their careers wind down is that very few of them are college-educated. Unlike basketball and football, there is no organizational structure that encourages surfers to develop their minds in conjunction with building their careers as professional athletes. This lack of education leaves a lot of pros excluded from certain tables once their athletic careers come to a close. The good news for today's surfers is that they have more computing power in their pockets than NASA did in 1969. Given the amount of travel time pros have, they can pursue a DIY education with virtual tools. WSL pro surfer Connor Coffin, for example, took online courses and received a college degree while qualifying for the tour. The second reality check that I see pro surfers struggle with after the spotlight fades is the identity crisis. 
Introducing yourself as a pro surfer can be a difficult habit to let go of, especially if it's been getting you dates and free yoga classes for the last 10 years. Even when the writing is on the wall, it's common for a pro to clutch to a false dream that one day they will quote-unquote make it. This isn't entirely their fault. As former pro Bud Freitas told me, team managers fill your head with false promises and tell you that you're going to be the next big thing. As a result, many pro surfers miss opportunities that could allow them to gain valuable skills needed beyond the world of surfing. Our society values glamour and prestige to an absurd degree. It's an ego blow for anyone in any career to feel like they're moving backward, but it's especially jarring for a professional athlete who gets dropped by their sponsor and has no backup plan. Being a pro surfer who travels to exotic locations for nine months a year and then wakes up one day and realizes that they're an unemployed 35-year-old with little work experience can be a shocking life adjustment. In a larger sport such as golf, even a mediocre pro may have millions in the bank once their career ends. A mid-tier pro surfer, however, usually must get a job shortly after their career ends. In 2016, Kanoa Igarashi finished 20th on the WSL and earned $157,250. The same year, golfer Gary Woodland finished 20th on the PGA Tour and earned $2,137,482. These figures exclude endorsements, which, when factored in, generally widen the earning gap between surfers and golfers even further. One of the most sought-after jobs for a former pro from Santa Cruz is a surf brand representative, more commonly known as a rep. This job pays well and involves working with surf shop managers to carry the products of the brand that they represent, much like being a salesman. However, rep jobs are becoming more difficult to attain as e-commerce is on the rise, and reps are expected to handle larger territories with less support. I've observed that other common jobs for a former pro surfer from Santa Cruz include working in construction or growing weed. Personally, I have no problem with any of the career paths above. One could easily argue that a person who pounds nails or grows herb provides more value for our community than someone who gets paid to get barreled. Alas, not many groms are sticking posters of construction workers on their walls. The third and darkest reality for some pro surfers is addiction. There are endless reasons why athletes turn to drugs, but this tragedy has left an inordinate amount of this town's most talented surfers homeless or in jail. Thankfully, addiction is less prolific among the younger generation of surfers in Santa Cruz today. Mel struggled with drug addiction in the later part of his career as a pro but is many years sober and now represents a shining light of someone who has made a successful transition out of pro surfing. He travels the world as a WSL broadcaster, and while home, he runs Freeline with his father, John Mel, and wife, Tara Mel. I mixed broadcasting and surfing for years, Mel says, of how he prepped for a post-pro life. I piled my plate and said yes to every opportunity that came my way. When, at age 40, his career began to swing more toward broadcasting than pro-surfing, he had a solid foundation to make the transition. I respect this quality about Mel. He's not bitter or entitled or afraid to learn new skills. 
Paradoxically, because he sought out less glamorous work as his pro career ended, he is now more recognizable than many pro surfers through the millions of people he reaches as an on-camera correspondent for the WSL. A few days after my conversation with Mel, I sit down with Noah Wagridge at New Leaf Community Market on Capitola. With two-page spreads in Surfer Magazine and a recent short film called Mr. Good Times about his trip to Indonesia, the 23-year-old aerial specialist has become one of the most talked-about surfers in town. He's also one of the few who gets paid. Where have you been recently? I ask. I just spent three weeks in Canada, he says. Before that, I did a week in Mexico. Before that, I was on Kauai for five weeks. And before that, I was in New Zealand for two weeks. Even for someone like Wegridge, who's seemingly doing all of the right things, money doesn't come as easily as it did for the last generation. Most people don't know this, but when I'm home, I do landscape architecture with my dad. Then I usually spend that money when I'm traveling, he explains. Although Wegridge didn't go to college, he has a naturally curious mind, and like Mel, he's not too proud to get his hands dirty and learn a new skill. I see traveling as my education, he continues. Wherever I go, I try to learn as much as possible. I ask if he has any idea what he wants to do after his career as a pro surfer ends. I like people, he replies. Maybe I'll become a psychologist. For now, though, he remains focused on surfing. His current goal? I want to get a 30-second barrel at Skeleton Bay in Namibia, he says. I thank him for his time and wish him luck. As I get on my bike to ride away... I text him a good psychology podcast to listen to on his upcoming travels. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you find yourself in Santa Cruz, be sure to pick up a copy of Santa Cruz Waves. Um, They are free at coffee shops and markets and most uh, local businesses around town. I am starting to do a monthly email uh, beginning October 1st, where I gather the best videos I've seen, the best articles I've read, the best podcasts I've listened to, and I organize them and um, blast them all out in an email. So if that's something that you would be interested in, um, I'm going to do it once a month so I can keep it super high quality and I don't inundate you um, as a lot of other people do. Um, So if you're interested in that, head over to my website, kyle.surf, and sign up. I'm going to leave you with a song by Wildlight called Dawn to Flight, and I will link to their band page in the show notes on my website. Have a great day, and I'll see you soon.